Welcome back to Something Private, a podcast about everything related to the vagina, from sex to health and the society. My name is Nicole and I am your producer and host. So last year, we did an episode titled Making Masturbation Mainstream where I so famously declared that I masturbate. I've since gotten countless comments and questions asking me how I don't feel embarrassed and or ashamed to declare that publicly on a channel heard by many. To which I really only have one thing to say. I'm shameless. Kidding! I think the fact is that everybody does it and the fact that the episode remains our most popular to date really just shows that people are interested in talking about sex. So I'm back a year later with a follow-up to that episode on self-love with an episode on self-pleasure. This time, I have two very qualified ladies joining me on the show to share a little more about the female orgasm. What are the different types of orgasms? Clitoral, vaginal, whether the G-spot exists, and if squirting is a thing. And also to share common struggles that couples and individuals face in their sex life. Yes, ladies, you aren't alone in being unable to achieve orgasms purely through penetration, okay? It is a common struggle. I'm Cecile Gagnon from Smile Makers. Uh, Smile Makers is a sexual wellness brand for women that's based here in Singapore. And we actually have operations around the world. And for Smile Makers, I'm in charge of marketing and communication. And for brand like Smile Makers, that basically means that on a daily basis, I'm trying to create safe spaces for people to engage and talk about their experience of sex. So for people with vulvas to talk about masturbation, uh, pleasure with partners, pain during sex, all those topics that we then address with content working with people like Dr. Jess. Hi, I'm Dr. Jess. Uh, I run a clinic in Singapore called Instinct Medical. I'm primarily a general practitioner, but we have a huge focus of our practice that emphasizes sexual medicine. The thing with Singapore at the moment, or the thing with people's mentality at the moment around the subject of sex is that when we mention sexual health, the first few things that pop up in their minds is, oh, so you deal with STDs. Mm. And uh, no, we, we're not just talking about disease conditions. We're talking about your day-to-day issues. Perhaps you're not feeling too great to have sex. I don't feel much when I'm touched. Or I can't quite orgasm the way I do. Or I've got issues concerning the way my genitals look. So to put a summary to this, we deal with everything that's got to do with your genitals feelings around your genitals, the way your genitals look as well. So part of it is also cosmetic. And uh, we offer that kind of non-judgmental place for them to just openly talk about it without fear of being judged. And so what makes what you guys do so important, especially like now in 21st century, if you were to maybe share about talking about sexual health and wellness with an average Singaporean, they probably be like, oh... They don't want to talk about it or they might find it maybe not as important or they don't want to openly discuss like these kind of things, right? So what makes what you guys do so important today? I think uh, exactly what you just said, the fact that people are still shying away and feeling very uncomfortable with talking about sex when it's something that really impacts our overall well-being, Mm. both mental and physical, and that they 
structured over years and centuries that this is a topic we should not be talking about and that creates a lot of sometimes physical pain, sometimes mental mm. pain, emotional pain, uh, a lot of frustrations. And I think for women more specifically, uh, I really like how you said, Dr. Jess, that people tend to associate sexual health with STDs. And we tend to associate sex health, for example, to how do we protect ourselves from STDs and how do we manage pregnancies. We are not taught about how to explore pleasure and enjoy sex as something fun. But that translates into the fact that for a lot of women, sex is actually frustrating and they are not feeling satisfied with their sex life. And we don't see that same amount of frustration uh, among men. So there is what is called a pleasure gap between mm -hmm. men and women where I think it's only 65% of women who say they were, they had an orgasm uh, during their last sexual encounter for over 90% for men. So that's one of the reasons. And the other reason is how do we make this conversation happen for a topic that is so important for all of us and not being able to talk about it makes us feel impacts our, um, uh, our experience of sex. Mm. You know, Cecile, you said frustration a couple yeah. of times, right? And, <laughs> and that's exactly how I ended up doing what I'm doing. It really stemmed from frustration and this devoidness of um, having a facility or a space where people can go to to discuss uh, sexual wellness, sexual health related issues. And hence, there is an existing field called sexual medicine, but it's not taught mm. in medical school. I, I wasn't taught about the clitoris. Yeah. I discovered the clitoris after medical school. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 that's how it was for me. So to go, goodness, as, as, a, as a woman, I knew nothing about this. As a doctor, I knew nothing about this. <laughs> and then I discovered it later as I started to go into work about uh, sexual health. Now, where do girls go to when they have issues concerning uh, sexual health? First thing that pops in their mind, I'll go see a doctor that deals with women's health, mm. a gynecologist. Mm. I can't blame my gynecology compatriots. They run busy, busy practices. To talk to someone about sexual health and sit down and talk about their sexual wellness is a one-hour, one-and-a-half-hour consult. Tell me. Tell me about your emotions. Tell me about how you feel about this. What's your mindset like? What are your current cultural thoughts around mm. sex? Plus, let me take a look at the genitals physical element of it and these are things people find a lot of shame which is what you said you discussed uh in your in your previous podcast around masturbation so much of shame around it so much of guilt around it and it's hard to then let go and go i think this is something that's good for myself because mm. honestly if you do something that is pleasurable for yourself why would you not go back to it again and again and again <laughs> unless something was stopping you and that's guilt and shame that's true. I think that's a very good place for us to start with having a conversation about it to understand like the anatomy of your body. Can I say a quick, quick something about the clitoris and anatomy books? <laughs> By all means. <laughs> uh, there is this expert in female anatomy who said something so poignant, right? Mm -hmm. That the anatomy of the clitoris and the female anatomy in general, I'm, talk I'm not talking about the reproductive tract that you see in textbooks all the time, right? the, this cross-section cut of the uterus and, yeah. and the vagina. I'm talking about the outside of the vulva. Right? They say that he, he feels there has been active exclusion of this part of the female anatomy from textbooks. Not simple omission. Oh, by the way, we just didn't think about it. Active exclusion. Mm. And that's because of uh, societal norms at that time and what society had expected out of women. So the place of women compared to men. 
yeah. in the 20th century. But we're in the 21st century now. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> things are very different. People are questioning things. Women are em emancipating in their own way. Before we maybe going into more detail of the female anatomy, what we see by being a vibrator brand is, and that really equals what you were saying about active exclusion of the clitoris, is that by default, people tend to think that a vibrator is a penetrative product that goes into the vagina. Mm. So we still get a lot of surprise reactions from consumers when they see that some of our products are for external stimulation. Mm. And uh, I've, I've literally sit with uh, customers of smile makers like to do uh, you know feedback on some of our products. And one of um, them was sitting with me to talk about the ballerina, which is a vulva vibrator. And she was like, I didn't know that vibrators could be external. And that's something that I've actually heard many times. And up until the point where we put on our website a how to choose quiz, where we ask questions about what women like to do when they're on their own or with a partner, and we based our product recommendation on that, on their answers, our best sellers were only penetrative products. But now that we have this tool that guides them to choose based on what they actually, how they like to be stimulated, it has shifted towards external products. So when it comes to knowing our anatomy, that really like is a way to show how that impacts even how we choose vibrator for ourselves. When we are not educated on our own body, we're going to go for penetrative products, even though they might do less for our pleasure than external ones. Mm. I used to tell my patients whenever they come in uh, as couples and we sort of get a, a baseline idea. Not, tell me what goes on in the bedroom. Just give me a mo uh, give me a breakdown of what happens the moment you decide, okay, let's get intimate. So they run through, oh, we do a little bit of kissing, then we do a little bit of touching, and then we go into this, you know, whether it's penetration. I go, so, so what about the outside, the vulva, or any other parts of the body that you guys touch? Oh, you know, she just likes a little bit of this and that. And then, then we go straight into penetration. Mm. And then I go, oh! <gasps> <laughs> Anything else? And then they go, no, just that. And then uh, I go, but you know the party's on the outside, right? Not on the inside. <laughs> and then they go, what do you mean? The party's on the outside. And I go, the clitoris is the only organ in the body that has only one purpose. <laughs> Pleasure. <laughs> How could we have missed that? Yeah. So it's only design. It's got no other function, really. <laughs> It's got no other function. It's just sitting there like a little bulb. We need that's to only be. part of it. Yes. It's just a little, it's like a little button that opens a huge mansion, mm -hmm. you know, that you can't see. So it's there and we've ignored it. For most of my early life, I would probably say the first two decades of my life, I thought I had a little penis. Well, it's likened to it, right? Yeah. The little, yeah. the clitoris, because it just juts out like a little penis. I honestly thought my pee came out of there. Mm. But it doesn't. Mm. So if we want to go into the anatomy part of it, and if you start with your entire external genital, I think of it as as an eye on its side. It's like an almond. So it's like we're bringing like a little the, rounded diamond. From the side, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like this, like a teardrop. Yeah. And then right at the top, you have that clitoris, right at the apex, where you have the roof. You have your little bud there. And that little bud actually goes down a distance. You know how men, uh, uh, a lot of men like to uh, claim that, you know, hey, my, my penis is six inches long. Well, women can claim that too because your clitoris is about six yeah. inches long. <laughs> really? Yeah. But where, where is it? Inside. Like, Inside. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all, it's all uh, <laughs> underneath. So 
learning when new I, things. When I talk to my patients about this, I, I see the clitoris. I tell them, you know how I see the clitoris? I see the clitoris as Little Red Riding Hood. And when Little Red Riding Hood is very unexcited and bored, what we do is we kind of stoop over and we are having our heads down and we're uninterested. Right, but when you give Little Red Riding Hood something interesting, and then she goes, ah, oh, she perks up and she stands, and then her head pops out of her hood, mm. so the clitoris is covered by a little hood, so you don't exactly see it. But if you were to just pull the roof of your vulva just up a little bit, you will see, ah, oh, there's a little bulge there, mm. and that little bulge is the actual clitoris, and it's just got so many nerves in there, like so many nerves. Um, anatomists have said that about 8,000 nerve endings in those areas. So they're like this this huge call center, you know, it's just receiving signals, and then it sends it right down to the rest of the six inches of the clitoris. And I imagine the rest of the six inches of the clitoris to be like a human straddled mm. on a horse. If you've got the horse there and you're just like that on that horse, the rest of that clitoris comes down from there and then you've got two legs mm. that spreads out. Have you seen a cowboy? They wear those pants yeah. with that funky guns that stick out and it looks like as if they've got two big appendages on the side. So and, and they wear that leather straps around their thighs. So then you've got those as well, like big little bulbs at the side. So you've got two legs and then you've got Two big bulbs at the side. I'm, I'm imagining this as like internal. Internal. Right. Completely internal. Right. Yep, yep. Okay. Behind your vulva skin. Yep. So you don't see it. Okay. And that whole area kind of behaves like a penis would. Hmm. And it gets engorged with, with blood and then it fills up. So when, when things get engorged and it occupies a space, the way it, it moves or the way it's shaped also changes. So it then starts to stand Mm. just like a penis would. So as more and more blood gets engorged in there from receiving signals, and this could be a signal from looking at something nice uh, or, or hearing some exciting sounds or, you know, watching a really romantic, sexy scene on TV. You know, a lot of girls describe having that, oh, I feel a pulsation in my groin. Mm. That's because blood's pumping in that area. You feel a sense of fullness. The, bulb, the, the actual bulb of the clitoris will stand a little bit. Mm. And when you're actually in full arousal, it can get super hard. And sometimes when you don't orgasm properly, it stays hard. Mm. I'd say connecting the, the clitoris and the vulva, and doctor, just correct me if I'm wrong, but you were talking about how the, when the clitoris become erect and we arouse, then it becomes engorged with blood. And you can see that your vulva changes shape like it becomes more bulby like more firm because you can basically see the internal structure of the clitoris like pushing down mm. the labia around that surround the vulva so even if that's a part of the clitoris that we can't see we can see how it reacts and how that impacts the appearance of the vulva your, your area starts to look a little bit more um supple yes i would say it, that yeah. the word might be supple supple oh. full not wrinkly, yeah. <laughs> not, not flaccid. It just feels occupied. Yes. And it creates a sense of uh, cushioning. And I suppose there's a, there's a purpose for that because it's, yeah. it's preparing for some sort of an impact or some sort of a penetration that, yeah. that might happen from the clitoris at the top. Right below it, then you have a little hole that's your urine hole. Right beside your urine hole, your urine hole is kind of like, you know, it's got, it's got two little soldiers that protects it. And those are like your skin glands. Mm. Now, this skin gland is the glands that people have now popularized with female ejaculation. 
Interesting. And those are the glands that just produce a little bit of material that kind of just squirts out, actually in very small quantities, that just squirts out from those glands. And it makes perfect sense because if that whole vulva, like you said, Cecile, is getting engorged with blood, all the structures there then work optimally. Mm. The, the glands will be more active, yeah. the, the vulva becomes more supple, the clitoris gets harder, the vagina gets ready for penetration. You know, everything is just spot on. Everything starts working purely because of engorgement with, with blood. Then there's two other glands that sit at the bottom called the Bartholin glands, uh, right at the bottom of the vaginal entrance. Now, mm. Those glands also produce discharges, lubrication right below the urine hole and only with a very little gap separating the urine hole then you have your vagina which doesn't quite look like a hole it just looks like fleshy tissue mm. so that's the hymen that's broken up and it breaks off over time with age not with your very first sexual uh, penetration so huge hymen myth to bust there and then you have all these little flagellate like tissue I think about it like, you know, the alien, you, you know, you see the aliens come through. Have you seen aliens? You've seen aliens before, right? And then they have that creature that just opens its mouth and then boom, you get all the teeth inside. Yeah. So it's like it's covered. Your vagina's kind of covered with all these little flagellates. That makes the tissue. vagina look so scary. Yeah, no, your vagina doesn't look so scary. It's teethless. <laughs> so then when you just push away all of those uh, tissue, you find the entrance. It's like a hidden cave. Mm. So... Yeah, kind of like that. And then at the bottom of that vagina, then you have the base of your teardrop, that, that little base. And that, at that base, that's where you get your other glands, mm. the Bartholin glands. Mm. So that's the, the anatomy of the vulva mm. in, in general. What we've heard a lot at Smile Makers, and you and I have talked about it, is how the vagina sensitivity is actually very, not what we would think because we tend to think, okay, the vagina is uh, an organ that we get stimulated through deep thrusting and when in fact the entrance of the vagina is very sensitive mm. and that to stimulate the vagina, what it's actually stimulating is the internal structure of the clitoris and the skin glands through the vagina wall. And I remember sitting with you once, uh, we were at a coffee and I, we were talking about a topic you want to cover later, which is the different types of orgasm. And I was asking, so is there really something as vaginal orgasm? And what you were saying is that there are orgasms that are purely critical, but there are no orgasms that are purely vaginal. It always ties back to some sort of clitoral stimulation. It's just done from literally another angle. If you, if you think about it very simplistically, when someone's having penetrative sex, it's not a perfect size item that is entering only the vagina. It's the entire person's pelvis mm. plus the penis that goes in. It's the, if, if, let's say we're talking about a female and male intercourse, okay? It's the male's pelvis. His pubic area, what is it doing? It's hitting against your clitoris that whole time. Mm. And that's causing clitoral stimulation as well. And then the other thing is that when you are penetrating the vagina, uh, there are little erectile tissues that then fill up and gorge with blood. And we just said that the clitoris flanks the vagina. So those then get stimulated. But that's not where all the nerves are. The nerves are right at the top. So if you really want kick-ass stimulation, you go straight 
for where the party is. Mm. <laughs> and then you, you know, you come in through the front door, you don't come in through the back door in that sense. So, you know, if you want the stimulation to be quick, you want the stimulation to be intense, then you've got to hit it where the buttons are. Mm. You've got to hit the right buttons. You've got to hit it at the spot where you have a lot of nerves to appreciate the touch. Uh, as opposed to just through vagina. I mean, they do say, and a lot of people know this, that only 20% of women can get full vaginal orgasms. 80% of us get clitoral orgasms. And commonly, when you are, as, as you progress through your intercourse or outercourse, whichever it might be, then, then the, and this is exactly it, it's not foreplay, it's, it's outercourse. Yeah, and <laughs> Cecile was also one of, I've heard this from you, yeah. uh, um, I think the last time you gave a talk, and, and I thought that was so poignant. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely right, it's outercourse, because foreplay suggests that, you know, There's a it has to happen before yeah. anything else, because it's foreplay, it has to come at the front, yeah. but it can be, Outer course, intercourse, outer course, intercourse, outer course, outer course, intercourse. It doesn't matter how you do it. You know, it can just run along exactly like that. Something Private is a podcast produced by VFM. Tune in to us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favourite podcast. Also, if you want to get notified the second a new episode hits every Tuesday, make sure you subscribe to us on all the relevant podcasting platforms as well as social media to get notified the instant this voice hits the airwaves. If you've liked our content so far, do us a solid by sharing our episodes with your friends, your families, with your acquaintances on social media, and give us a tag and shout out at something private pod. That's something private pod. P O D. Or if you'd like to chat with me, send me your feedback, suggestions, or you just want to have a discussion, feel free to slide into my DMs as well or drop me an email at nicole at somethingprivate.fm. That's nicole at somethingprivate.fm. It's important to be very honest about what is it that, that you like. But how are you supposed to tell what is it that you like when you don't know what you like if you haven't um, uh, discovered yourself, you haven't gone through curious play and just gone, okay, let me see this part, what does it do for me? And that part, what does it do for me? Or, oh, I really don't like this. You know, you need to figure it out. You know, you mentioned uh, other places, like it doesn't have to be our classic erotic areas of the yeah. body, classic erogenous zones. We always think genitals, we think breasts, yes. neck, ears, you know, people like toes sometimes, <laughs> you know. So, you know, whatever floats your boat, but if you like it, mention it to your yeah. partners. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, when you do this, I feel very relaxed. Why not start in a relaxed state before you get on to, to anything intimate, yeah. right? Because it gets you in the mood. Well, I feel loved. I feel like you care. I feel touched. I like that little tickle sensation that you're providing me. Now I feel like I'm more in the mood. Now I'm ready. Then you take it up gradually. Mm -hmm. Then you can go for what they have traditionally termed the hot zones. Then you attack the hot zones, right? Because then you feel you're prepped and ready to go for hot zones. Can you imagine you're not ready at all and someone just says, hey, let's go for penetration. Painful, dry, uncomfortable. I wouldn't yeah. want it. Yeah. Mm. My vulva's not ready for it. Mm. And yeah. Which is why a lot of women say that I suffer from a lot of vaginal dryness. Yeah. It's probably not because you have, vagi you have vaginal dryness. Yeah, vaginal. You haven't prepped yourself enough. Yeah. And uh, lubrication doesn't equal arousal. Yeah. 
we always are very, very dependent on evidence. Show me the evidence that you are aroused by me. And this is what happens in partner situations a lot. And when a partner's not getting an erection, oh, you're not aroused. Mm. Your partner doesn't ejaculate, it doesn't ejaculate in time, oh, you're not aroused. Oh, I wasn't arousing enough for you. There's always that blame. Yep. Or when you're not wet enough, like like men often think that, oh, when a woman is very wet, oh, yeah, I'm doing the right stuff. Yeah. Because she's so wet. But she could have an infection. <laughs> you know, or she she could have some sort of uh, anomaly with her discharge. Yeah. That doesn't mean she's aroused. Yeah. Wetness doesn't equal arousal. So we are very based on evidence, which is why the whole topic of female ejaculation comes up. Because yeah. if a woman can ejaculate, ah, bang, you had a great time with me. Yep. Studies have been done by doctors who, who do sexual medicine and uh, female ejaculation, squirting, do completely different things. Now, female ejaculation is something that comes from the female prostate gland. You know, men have a prostate gland. It's the sort of gland that adds to the material that comes out when they ejaculate, the, the, the whitish, slightly clumpy material. Uh, and it also is a little bit whitish and it's very small quantity. That's female ejaculation. It comes from the skin glands that we spoke about that sits right beside your urine hole. Now, squirting, on the other hand, is actually very diluted urine. It's got to do with uh, the basis of probably having a little bit of incontinence when uh, you receive a heightened amount of stimulation, when the area around your vulva is all engorged or there's, there is uh, a lot of penetration going on, then you squirt. It does feel like, like you're peeing because it is coming out of your, 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 your urine hole, mm. your, your urethra. Um, but female ejaculation is completely different. Mm. Female ejaculation is that. Small amounts of whitish discharge. And it all just mixes together and we, we know it to be uh, female liquids or sexual liquids. Like you used the word liquid earlier, Nicole. And that's exactly what it is. Now, physiologically, we all have the right glands, the right urine hole to be able to ejaculate, to be able to squirt. But not all of us can and not all of us should aim for it because why are we aiming for evidence again? Mm. So if you're able to do it, then there's that connotation that you're having better sex than anybody else. Mm. But that is not true because it depends on how much pleasure have you had. Did you find that intercourse was wonderful and you got to discharge a little bit of that emotion, you got to discharge a, you know, that. Mm. You had your wow moment and, and you're happy with that. That's very, very, you're contented with that. Then, then that should be it for you. Yeah. That's your it. Mm. That's your orgasm. Is it a common thing that you have noticed that this culture of like wanting to achieve has like inhibited our experience with sex. Absolutely. I think even when you're, we have to, I have to like stop myself sometimes when I create content for smile makers because the, the reflex is to be very performative. Like, how can I get an orgasm? How can you get an orgasm? This vibrator is going to make you reach orgasms after orgasm. And sometimes be mindful that, oh, but when I write that, I'm just like feeding into the notion that this is what sex is about. There's a, a performance aspect to, mm -hmm. to sex, which takes a lot of work to deconstruct. Um, and I think at Mindmakers, what we try to do when we talk about like erogenous zones and exploring your body is to make it fun. I don't know, take uh, a vibrator or a feather 
and just exploring different types of touch or seeing how mm. smells or perfume can play, like all your different senses can play into your arousal process by yourself or with a partner, putting back some playfulness into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I like what you said about games because it's, <laughs> it's just pure fun. It's pure childlike yeah. fun, no intention, no target, nothing. Yeah. If, you, if you really wanted to enjoy it, you would take your time, but you would need time, which is why through the, the circuit breaker that we've experienced, through the lockdowns that we've experienced, I'm just people were buying more toys. Yeah. Why? Tiny. Tiny. Do you have like a, time. a statistic? I can go to up to two or three times more than usual, depending on the market. <laughs> uh, and we've seen that. What's been interesting, because we have sales in, in Asia, in Europe, and in the US, in North America, and like Singapore was one of the first countries to be hit by COVID. So as early as February, we were already being very careful in Singapore, mm. going out less and everything. We've seen sales double in the Singaporean market in Feb. And then we've seen that happen uh, in Europe. And then we've seen that happen in the US when all those markets get gradually went into lockdown. So yes, apparently that was like a very popular pick to spend time at home was to engage sexually either with yourself or with a partner. Yeah, time for discovery. Yeah. And I think we just need to take that time out and go, look, I've had such a hard damn day at work. Mm. And when I want to have sex, I don't want to have sex. Or when I, let's, let's take sex out of the equation. Let's, let's talk about it in terms of intimacy. When mm. I, when I want to get intimate, I don't want to get intimate for someone else. Mm. I want to get intimate for myself. And this will then pull out the equation of performance anxiety. Like even in my communication with my patients, I also have to catch myself. I do catch myself to make sure that I, I don't I don't talk about things in terms of performance. Because, you know, can you imagine? You're performing at work all day long. You want to come home and still perform? <laughs> I, I want to quit performing. I want to go look. Screw all of that. We don't want to do any more performance. Yeah. We want to just sit there and, and enjoy the touches. Mm. Enjoy enjoy what we're hearing from someone. Enjoy the compliments. Enjoy a conversation. I just want to enjoy it for what it is. Pure, clean. Mm. No distractions. But when we're target-oriented, we only want to go on a hit there. And you want to hit there in a decent amount of time. There are a lot of girls in my age group that I have heard they will say things like, you know, I want to know how to make my boyfriend, like, come, right? Or, like, I want to know, um, yeah, just, like, how to please or pleasure my partner. It does seem as if the focus is not on themselves, but on their partner. So, I think, how do we kind of, like, unlearn that? Or, you know, how do we change, like, our mindsets around that for both genders, actually? Because, yeah. I think it's a great time now for us to take charge and go, look, this is what we're engaging in in this intimate moment. It's not for you to pleasure me, but it's for us to talk about what pleasures each one of us. Like, I like this sort of thing. I enjoy this. And uh, I'd like to discuss this with you. And just like what you said, you know, your friends or, or, or women that you might have interviewed before have asked you, so how do I make my partner come? Mm. I think you'd have to make yourself come first, <laughs> you know, like, like, how do you, how do you make yourself come? Because if during intimacy, you're focused about making your partner come, then where are you actually there or are you elsewhere? Mm. You're distracted. You're not fully a hundred percent present during your intimate moments. And when you take yourself away from that moment of being present, you are unable to enjoy a simple touch, like maybe a stroke down the neck. You will not be able to perceive it 
in the way it is intended. It is your responsibility to arouse yourself. So you've got to let it in. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to open yourself up to let the feeling in. Mm-hmm. But when you're distracted with a thought to get someone else aroused, you are not open to let that feeling in. So push away that demand, that that, that target-oriented uh, type thinking and just sit back and, and, and just relax. And if it means whipping out a sex toy and saying, you know, hey, I really, I really quite uh, like it when I get stimulated on my clitoris, and you just ask your partner uh, plainly, unless you're shy about it. But if you discuss this, this is between you and your partner. It's not going to go anywhere else, right? And it doesn't matter how you do things in the bedroom. That's your little private zone. That's your safe zone. And no one's to judge. If it works for you, it works for you. You don't have to care what your neighbor thinks about it, mm. unless your neighbor's involved in the process. But <laughs> then you don't really have to care what somebody else thinks about it. You don't have to care about what the norm is because yeah. this is your privacy in your bedroom. Mm. And you can like always say, you know, can I get a, I'll get a sex toy and I just stimulate myself. And 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 are you do you, do you feel like watching? And then and and if watching you makes him feel aroused too then you've done it. You've been very honest with your feelings mm. and you've shared this piece of information with your partner and go, you know, when uh, when I finger myself, it, it feels okay, but I like a toy because it feels better. Are you okay if we introduce mm. this into our, our intimacy? It makes me feel more relaxed. I don't hold on to these thoughts. And I feel like, you know, I can react better to you. So it's not about servicing you. It's not about performing for you, but I feel more open to receive feelings than to react better to you. Mm. So, and I think men have to be honest as well. Mm. There's always this fear of being defiant from the norm. What helps is to be able to talk with other people and realize that we all have our kinks and we all have, uh, like even to stimulate the clitoris and the vulva, for some it's going to be a broad stimulation on the vulva, for some they're going to enjoy more like direct stimulation on the clitoral glands. For some that's too much and they need to add some layers to that. Uh, for some, it's going to be like round movements around the clitoris. For others, it's going to be like rubbing, I don't know, with a whole fist or with a toy. So it can be very uh, diverse. Uh, and when you're able to talk about it with friends, you realize that we're all kind of different. Uh, and that's okay. And that's what makes sex fun as well. Because when you meet someone new, you're going to experience your things because they're going to come with their baggage, you're going to come with your baggage, you're going to teach each other things. Um, but tying back to what Dr. Jess was saying, when you are able to be in charge of your own pleasure, uh, then you're going to be able to come into new sexual encounters with an open mind because you're going to know what you like, what you can, how you can guide your partner, but you're also going to be curious about what they can bring you that you didn't know. Dr. Jess, I wanted to ask, um, in your clinic, what are some of the common concerns or misconceptions or like issues that your patients come to you having? Um, I'll probably break it down into the men and women that I see. Mm. So in, in the women that I see, I see a lot of women who have difficulty um, having intercourse, so vaginismus. Mm. Uh, that's that's actually a far more common condition than people recognize it to be. A lot of women are, are, are still hiding uh, with this issue that they're facing where they have a lot of problems with having successful penetration. And the thing that puzzles me the most is that 
these women uh, that I've seen have issues with penetration, but in association to that, they have denied themselves pleasure. Mm. So my question to them is that, okay, so we're having some problems with having anything inserted into the vagina, but what have you done with the outside? Of your vulva, have you explored it? Have you found any areas like, like how do you then get intimate with your partner? Oh no, I can't because I can't penetrate, and that is that is a, a very sad situation because just because you can't penetrate, you denied yourself all pleasure from intimacy. Why? Because you know these women could potentially have far more pleasure than a standard heterosexual couple that engages in penetrative sex if they just knew how to hone into the areas that works for them. In men, performance. I feel very sorry for men in general with the, with the patient. I, I do. I feel like they take it a lot on themselves mm. to be the performer. Mm. And, you know, it's like a jester in front of the king. Like, you know, it's very, very unfair. And, and, and part of it is also what we have traditionally put ourselves into this norm that we expect that, you know, uh, uh, women, uh, we will sit there and uh, lie there. And, and this is not what is happening to everyone, but there's this expectation that we are worked on. It is then obvious to a woman when a man is not feeling it or when she mm. thinks he's not feeling it because it's proven by the erections. Mm. They've got an external source which is there. Look, not erected, mm. right? So there's that, oh, I have to be able to do it because she can see if I'm not. Mm. And being unable to share uh, how they feel about their partners, mm. especially negative feelings, in a way that is constructive. Interesting. Because they feel their partners are going to be very defensive. And they come in alone. So they come in alone to discuss these things because they say, oh, I don't think I can bring my partner in because, you know, she'll blow if I, if I, if I discuss this and she'll just get defensive about it. I said, do not assume what you think someone will react because yeah. your assumption is the thing that's going to hold you back. Mm. But allow them to have the context as well. Very unfair. You come in, you get all the context of how to talk to someone, but then you don't allow your partner that context. Mm. So bring them in. Let, let us also supply that context. And when both of you have the context, you actually are able to empathize with each other a little yep. bit more. I can send me understand why you feel so pressured whenever I say things like, oh, you, you're not erected yet. Or is it because I'm not beautiful enough? Or is it because I haven't done something right? Or you're just not attracted to me anymore? Wow, we get that so much in the clinic. I want to know... Um for you guys in this, who are experts in this like field right of sexual wellness, right, there is a prediction, you know, that the market is going to grow quite significantly in Asia as we, I guess, are becoming more liberal or you know, we start to explore ourselves more and get more comfortable talking about sexual health and wellness. So, where do you guys kind of see like the future of like this industry going and like how our attitudes towards like sex is going to change? What we've seen in Asia, in other parts of the world as well, is mainstream retail opening up to the category. So in Singapore, we started with Watson in 2014. We launched with Guardian more recently. We've launched at Isetan on Orchard. So that's, yeah, like, that's a very, um, that's a very big change, I think. And we've seen things moving uh, in that direction as well in Malaysia, mm. in Taiwan, in Hong Kong. And the fact that people can now find vibrators on the shelves of where they go buy their shampoo or their health products, that normalizes and that really um, brings to a wider audience the topic of sexual wellness. And interestingly, like in Taiwan, there were 
24% of women in uh, 2013 who said they had already used a vibrator in their lives. And that number went all the way up to 60% in 2019. Uh, and that was really, that really shows how when you bring the category to mainstream retail, that changes behaviors and that can change mentalities as well. And being a brand that is present on the shelves of those retailers, we also make it a point that in our packaging, for example, in the way we communicate about the product, we convey educational information about, for example, the anatomy area that this product is going to stimulate. So if we're talking about the fireman, which is one of our products, that means I need to talk about the clitoral glands and the labia. So that's a little bit of information about anatomy just right here. And hopefully by this, it's not only about normalizing the category, but making content and sex education content more broadly available. And that changed how people perceive the category and the topic of sex. So, you know, a lot of us are so fond of taking supplements and to, to promote our health. So in the department of our sex health, our sexual health, then a sex toy is like a supplement to it. You know, uh, I, I always think about it in terms of, uh, and I would like this to be a continuous, continued progress as we keep evolving, that a sex toy should really be something that every woman owns. Because at the end of a hard day's work, you don't want to be so working so hard with your fingers or you're really plowing through the process. If we have a tool, use it. Because it'll vibrate in a way that you can't vibrate yeah. with your fingers. So use it as your adjunct. Why work so hard? Mm. Be smart about it. Um, in the field of medicine, I... I really would like to see sexual medicine grow as, as a type of medicine that is recognized even in mainstream uh, medical school, uh, or, or it be a specialty, you know, a, a traditional specialty. I hope what we consider as traditional changes, and this becomes incorporated because this is a part of our lives that we need to start taking very, very seriously, uh, relationship, uh, intimacy, and it shouldn't be ignored or shunned anymore. And... Um, I think we need to change, and I feel like people are changing. You know, we are we are we are we are talking about it a little bit more, and this is this is a great space. You know, we're more open to letting the information in, and the more you talk to patients, and the more we educate, they're gonna pay it for it. They're mm -hmm. gonna educate somebody else. They're gonna educate their friends. Their friends are gonna yeah. go, oh, I'm gonna educate somebody else, and yeah. it just opens just up no little things. avenues of conversation, and this is gonna be exponential, and I hope to see that happen. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of Something Private. If you follow us on social media, you would have seen that we started recording all of our podcast episodes in a small, really cozy, quaint, beautiful studio. And that means this podcast is going to have a video version really soon. Woo! The launch of our new visual channel would really show you guys behind the scenes of what Something Private is like, you know, the people who are leading the conversations around sexual health and wellness, gender and society, love relationships, work in across Southeast Asia. And yeah, for you guys to really, I guess like, watch us when you have dinner, watch us when you have lunch, you know, we really want to be a companions. So if you are interested and looking forward to our new YouTube channel, make sure to subscribe to all our platforms from Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts to Instagram and even Telegram. We have a channel. You can just search us at something private pod. 
As usual, if you have any questions, comments, feel free to drop me a DM on Instagram or you can email me at nicole at somethingprivate.fm. That's all. I'm going to see you guys next week. Bye!